0: And welcome back to another episode of the Limited Upside Podcast. My name is Mike Prada. Ben is still on his honeymoon in Europe. Please send him your well wishes, but he will be gone for the month of October. We're finishing up our off-season team series. Uh, This episode, we've got the Boston Celtics, a team that finally made a big move over the summer, getting Al Horford and maybe more moves to come. Are they the top challenger to the Cavaliers in the East? I spoke with Jeff Clark, the dean of the basketball blogosphere, someone I read in high school. He's been around covering this Celtics team for such a long time. It has been it was great to have him on to talk about the pulse of the Celtics fan base, what Horford will do, what the chances are for a big move, and some of the other little questions that Celtics fans are obsessing over as we get ready for this season. As a reminder, you can always subscribe to the show on iTunes. Please leave us a review. It helps us get up in the rankings and let us know what we're doing well and what we're not doing so well that we can improve on. And let us know any ideas you have for stuff you want to talk about during the season. We really appreciate your feedback. And send us some questions. You know, we, we ask them on every show. They help dictate the show and its format, Uh, you can send them to at limited underscore upside on Twitter you can also email me at mikeprada at sbnation.com but sit back and enjoy the Boston Celtics with Jeff Clark on the Limited Upside Podcast Shut up and sit down Back with the Boston Celtics, we have Jeff Clark from Celtics blog on the line, and Jeff, the first thing I, I always wonder about the Celtics team, and this is going to sound like a super basic question, but it kind of confused me the entire year was how good were they last year like how good were the Celtics because it felt like they were they won a lot of games, they had these stretches where they were really, really mowing down teams, getting these signature wins, and then there also you know were some games where it just looked like they they laid an egg or just talent level, it didn't seem like they measured up. And so obviously they lost in the playoffs. I, I was left confused the whole time, like, you know, how good really were, were the Celtics last year? Well, welcome to my life. This is what <laughs> I do. Um, this is a team
1: that beat the Warriors and lost twice to the Nets. That's really all you need to know um, yep. <laughs> in, in terms of confusion like it's a process it's something you have to kind of go through and you are what your record says you are so at the end of the year we were a 48 win team um but you know there were there were there were highs there were lows there were um the the you know if you go all the way back to the previous season you know we ended the season on this tear and it was it was you know a chance to look up and it was like oh look if we just keep at that pace we're going to win 50 plus games this year and um, and so, going into the year, there there were heightened expectations. Not like we were going to win the championship or anything like that. But you know there was a chance to to really start getting into good basketball. And personally, I'm going to blame the entire you know first part of the season malaise on David Lee um because it's convenient but um <laughs> obviously it was a lot more intricate than that but um you know he was a bad fit it was it was an awkward kind of feeling out process of trying to get the rotations together and things like that so i think Brad Stevens tends to like to do a little bit of experimenting earlier in the year to kind of see what he has and what he has to to work with um and then later in the year i think there were some injuries you know everyone has injuries but we had some, some injuries to Kelly Olynyk and um Jay Crowder and people like that so um, but all, all in all, it was a good year last year, and they, they ended up hitting 48 wins, which is right around where some statistical analysis had pegged them at. At, at least one, you know, projection had them around, around 50 wins or so. And so I was really, you know, happy with that.
0: Would it be fair to say that they overachieved, underachieved, or achieved? Because I think you ask three different people that question, and you're going to get six different answers.
1: Well, yeah, and, and it's 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 in the eye of the beholder, right? I mean, it depends on what your your expectations going into the season were. If you were expecting them to be, you know, another lottery team, then they, yeah, they overachieved. If you're expecting them to be a world beater, you know, and, and, you know, forgive Celtics fans, sometimes we get a little bit carried away. I don't know if you've ever heard of that before. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, we have, you know, we have high expectations. We want championships and we want them to, you know, to perform. And so if you were expecting, you know, another banner, then you might have been a little bit disappointed. Um, I I think we were kind of hoping for more success in the playoffs. You know, uh, it just so happened that we were a little bit dinged up heading into the playoffs and we happened to hit the worst matchup we possibly could have with, with the Atlanta Hawks. And so, um, you know, unfortunately, that ended in a in a or another first round playoff loss. Um, so you could look at it from the perspective that we didn't make any progress, but I, I would argue that we really did make a lot of progress, and we, you know, took several steps forward in terms of being you know, a legitimately a legitimate con, not contender for the title, but a contending type team.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think. They achieved fine. I mean, the playoffs, like you talked about, they were really banged up. And you know, I think they were kind of sunk as soon as Avery Bradley goes out in game one. He was their one yeah. decent shooting guard, shooter, shooter. And as soon as he went out, the Hawks just packed the pain and Isaiah Thomas had nowhere to go. I think it's tough. One of the reasons it's tough to gauge like whether this team overachieved, underachieved, or whatever, is that on the one hand, they don't have any... Players that I think coming into the year, people would consider to be superstar level talent players. Obviously, Isaiah Thomas had a tremendous year, made the all star team, put up great numbers, sort of maybe not a superstar level player, but really started to cement himself as someone worthy of the discussion. But at the same time, they also had a lot of depth. In the regular season, depth wins a lot of games, and they had a great defense for a lot of time. And so there was sort of, you can see where maybe some people would say, well, Look at the talent on that roster. Brad Stevens really got a lot out of, the team, out of that team, and isn't he a genius? And then there's also, you know, look at the depth on that roster and look at how it seemed like they had these big wins. Why couldn't they win more, and why couldn't they win a playoff series? Well, really, is this team really all that's cracked up to be? So it's a dilemma, but I agree with you that kind of in the, the aggregate, it was a good thing, And and the reason I kind of started the podcast this way is that the Celtics made a big move this summer, and... In judging, like judging how big the they finally got a free agent, uh, Al Horford signs with them. Uh, very heartbreakingly, uh, spurned my Wizards at the last second to sign with the Celtics. <laughs> a decision that I really cannot argue with. I think I would have made the same decision as well, given the growth trajectory. But in trying to evaluate how big a deal that signing is, I think we first have to try to figure out how good they were last year. And so, Al Horford is obviously an upgrade, but like, how much of an upgrade is he? And where can you take them? Well, I
1: mean, uh, you know, I, I joke about, you know, you, you mean we made an upgrade? That's amazing. Uh, <laughs> the, 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 it, it, I was saying for a little while that you know the, he might have been the biggest superstar free agent signing that was you know overlooked in in a long time because, like, the the ink was barely dry on his on his contract when, you know, or you know, metaphorically speaking. That when you know we're already turning our attention to okay, can we get Kevin Durant now? Can we get Kevin Durant? And then boom, he goes to the Warriors, and everybody's you know focused on that now. So it's almost like Al Horford, much like the rest of his career, was kind of like you know overlooked and and sort of you know put aside as a as a, oh yeah, he's very good, but so what kind of thing. So I'm not saying, you know, we're underdogs by any means or that we have any lack of respect or anything like that. I'm just saying it was kind of overlooked in the in the media cycle, if you will. So um, from a Celtics perspective, I mean it's it's huge because, you know, not just from you know the on court perspective, but, you know, legitimizing the Celtics as a, as a free agent destination, someplace that they can go um, and and somewhere that free agents and star free agents want to go to play for a guy like Brad Stevens in a city like Boston, even though it's not, you know, warm and sunny and stuff like that. Um, it, it, it just it just was a great win for the city, if you will. Um, and in terms of how much how much better he is, all you have to do is just do a little, um, you know, split screen. On the left side, you have Jared Selinger. On the right <laughs> side, you have Al Horford imagine how the offense works better on this side than it does on that side so I mean yeah th- it's really all you need to do
0: yeah we'll, we'll talk a little bit about him as an encore fit uh, real quick did you buy into the Durant hysteria as much as some Celtics fans or did that always seem like a, a long shot both
1: absolutely both, oh, both. <laughs> um,
0: yeah, I mean I definitely
1: considered it a long shot but one percent chance at getting Kevin Durant is something to get excited about to me. Um, it's it's a it's a great opportunity, and the fact that the Celtics were in the room, being one of the finalists, and and all of the finalists believed that they were the second choice, um, that was a a big win for the Celtics. I think you know I think it was a chance for them to say, look doesn't matter how good you are we're going to be in the room we're going to be one of those people that you know has a compelling case to to sell to a free agent so i think that's a a great you know step forward for the for the franchise yes being second place doesn't win you anything in in on-court production but it, it just it's kind of a, one of those things where in, in terms of buying into the hype yeah i bought into the hype in terms of hey we're in the room this is this is a great step forward for the for the franchise
0: it's exciting, too, you know, to follow Twitter and see, oh, Tom Brady's in the meeting. What's he going to have to say? And, wow, I'm tracking planes in the Hamptons. You know, as a right. Wizards fan who was hoping for that 1% chance with Kevin Durant, I I kind of wish that I had it, too. And it's sort of a hypocrite for me to kind of downgrade the Celtics fans are getting excited, uh, given my favorite site's uh, right. year-long campaign to give Durant a chance. Um, <laughs> Let's talk about Al Horford on the court, though. I think you're right that cult, that just significantly historically, the fact that a, a free agent shows the Celtics, and you know, some people will say, well, the Celtics weren't really a free agent player, so it's really unfair to hold it against them that they didn't get a marquee free agent. And all the guys they got, you know, to win the 2008 title were in trades, but at the same time, there was still a recruiting that had to be done to get KG here. Right. And so maybe it's not a big deal. I still think it's a big deal. Uh, just. To, as a signal to the rest of the league but we've gotten a couple questions from uh people on twitter and again you can always send us questions via the at limited underscore upside twitter handle or in my email this is we've got um questions from harvin asking this but also uh chris uh, and i think i got this right how does al horford fit into boston's offense like where do you see him kind of slotting in in brad Stevens' system
1: um, like a like a glove and like a central cog that's going to make the machine work much better. Um, he's just he's one of those guys. Not to use cliches, but he just sort of makes everybody else around him better. And and what I mean by that is that you know he's the kind of guy where okay in the playoffs when teams have a long time to um, game plan for the Celtics, they know that we have you know a somewhat limited you know selection of offensive game game like you know people who can make things happen on the offense and so they're going to hone in on a guy like Isaiah Thomas well with with Al Horford he sets you know excellent picks he sets you know he spaces the floor and he knows where to be he can see the the game happening around him and oh by the way they have to honor his you know hit him on the court as well, so that gives Isaiah Thomas an extra two inches of of you know room to 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 maneuver and to, and to work and to work his game. And if, if anybody who's seen Isaiah Thomas knows, all he needs is two inches in order to you know worm his way through the through the lane and get through, split some defenders and get up into the into the teeth of the the defense. Sometimes so, less. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I mean, I was blown away the first time I saw him and just sort of knife his way through. But, um, but Al Horford, he's just one of those guys who everything he does is helping the entire team to get better. So, by creating that a little a little extra bit of space, that's going to make Isaiah Thomas better. It's going to make Jay Crowder better. It's going to free you know uh, Avery Bradley for more open looks on on the perimeter. It's just it's from an offensive standpoint, and that's just on offense. So and on defense. I mean, we already have a stout defense from last year, and the only thing that was missing in our defense was a, you know, quote-unquote rim protector. And I I don't know if Al Horford's going to, like, you know, blow you away with blocks or anything like that, but he's one of those anchors of the defense that is going to be in the right space at the right time. He can go out and chase people to the perimeter if if that's what the— um, defense calls for, or he can, you know, stay home and allow the the perimeter players to be even more aggressive and more dogged in their pursuit because they know they've got a guy behind them that's going to, you know, be in the right place at the right time. And that's what defense is all about. It's about trust, trusting the people behind you to, 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 to know their role and to be in the right place.
0: So the Celtics had the fourth best defense in the league last year, So, and that was with, like you said, Sollinger taking a lot of minutes, and right. Kelly Olynyk taking a lot of minutes, uh, and you switch him with Horford, and obviously that's a, it's a big boom. I'm not sure he's a great rim protector at this stage of his career, but I think he's, he's just kind of a B-plus in everywhere that I think certainly he will upgrade the defense. And then offensively, like you said, his dribble-pitch game is really strong. His screen-setting game is really strong. And the Celtics' offense is just – there's a lot of – you need to set screens on the move, whether it's for Isaiah Thomas kind of coming off dribble handoffs, whether it's for those pin-downs with A.V. Bradley. It's just – it's very difficult if you can't screen well. You're going to get called for a zillion moving screens. And that's what Al Horford could right. do. I don't know if Al Horford solves the like kind of we know who do we have to, we know how to stop this cute stuff that the Celtics do, and now it's like <laughs> who's going to beat us problem that I think they had in some cases.
1: Yeah, and that, and that's totally fair. I mean, um, again, what what Al Horford is is going to be good at, it's going to be you know in Al, in Brad Stevens' system. Every single you know play has about five different looks um, or or more that they, that they can use depending on what the defense gives you, and if you've got you know a or limited or at least a normal, you know, human being out there, they're not gonna they're gonna see one or two of those looks and then have to make a decision really quick. Al Holford's gonna be able to see the court and he's gonna be making the right decision most of the time. So that's kind of the value and the the, the way he slots into a Brad Stevens type of team very well. But your point of, of not having a, you know, for lack of a better word, for lack of a the better, you know, analogy, like a go-to scorer, a, a, a guy you can just throw the ball to and know he's going to get, you know, give you, give you points. Yes, we don't have that. And we kind of, you know, you know, let's see how the season plays out. But, you know, I'm, I tend to, you know, side with most of the people who say that we still are one big, big piece away from being a title contender. And that means someone who can, you know, get you 20 points a game and, and, you know, be reliable for, um, for instant offense when you need it, so you can't just be, you know, Isaiah Tom pray for, for pray for a, a three pointer from somebody else.
0: Yeah, and the beauty of the Al Horford signing is that he only cost them money. He didn't cost them draft picks. Where at the trade exactly. deadline there were rumors that perhaps the Celtics were going to try to trade for him, and that would have cost them something. He only cost them money. They still have all those picks from Brooklyn. They still have that surplus of young players. They still have contracts that they can move they still I mean they have a lot of players on good contracts like uh, Bradley and Crowder and these guys are are underpaid relative to the new salary structure and they still have a couple other players that they can move Tyler Zeller even is on eight million dollars a year That's a very movable contract Uh, so that's the beauty of that so I mean we might as well skip ahead to that because I think a lot of Celtics fans and a lot of fans around the league are looking and saying not only are the Celtics one player away, but like at some point they kind of have to come away with someone. They can't they don't have room for all these picks. So, do you Absolutely. see them do you see them actually making a big move? I mean, what is the likelihood in your opinion? Well, I I think it's
1: as close to 100% as possible eventually. And and that that last word is is the is the key. I assumed going into this last off season that, you know, hey, everything's lined up they have to make a move now. I mean, they can't bring in all these draft picks. They can't do all this, um, add to the, the, to the roster and keep getting more and more depth because it's just not going to make sense anymore. Um, I was wrong because, you know, it, it takes two to tango. You, you have to be able to have a, an equitable trade on the other side of the, uh, uh, on the other side of the phone in order to get something done. So, Yes, I think at, at at the draft there were you know rumors abound that you know Jimmy Butler was coming to the to to the Celtics for some package, but and and then you know uh, that's why Jalen Brown gets up there and gets his name called. Celtics fans were booing. It wasn't necessarily for Jalen Brown. It, I mean you know much respect to him as a as a human being, but we were expecting the trade to happen. We were expecting Chris Dunn's name to be called so we could trade him off to someone else. You know. But when that didn't happen, it was like, ah, oh, here we go again. We have to wait again, and, it, and there's this heightened expectation that it feels like we've been on the edge of our seats waiting for this next big shoe to drop. For it seems like forever, but it's only been like a couple of years. Um, and part of that's the Danny Ainge culture. He's always willing to, willing and ready, and and eager to make a big trade and the owner with Grousebeck is talking about fireworks and you know, it's, it's a culture of, we're always just one piece away. We all get ready to make a big splash, but, and and that kind of gets a little bit old after a while. It's like, okay, do it. Just stop talking about it. Do it. Um, and so there's a little bit of, I don't know what you call it. Um, it, it it's just a bit of frustration on the fact on the, on the hands of the Celtics fans. We're, we're just waiting for them to actually make that move. But again, you know, like you said with Al Horford, if we had made the move for Al Horford last year, we would have used up some of the assets that we could have used for now. Um, and so, who knows how much? Uh, who knows what deals that Danny Inch has turned down? Maybe they were drastically terrible deals, where we would have given up all of our nets picks and things like that. And we're, and of course, he's not going to make that move. We don't know that. We're not in the room with him. So, I, I have to. You know, I'm not one of those in danny i trust everything what he does is, is is golden but like at the same time i have to give him at least enough credit to say okay he's the one who's making the deals he's the one who's in the room if he's hasn't made a move yet chances are there hasn't been a great deal to be had yet um so i'm just hoping for some star to become available whether it be a jimmy butler or a demarcus cousins or a um, I don't know. I still keep holding out hope for uh, Paul George or something like that. So, but if they're not available, then you know they're not available.
0: Yeah, I, I think two things work against them. I mean, three things. One is that just great players don't get traded very often. So to hold the standard of like, you know. Make the move now. Like it's not a, like a it's not like a grocery aisle where you're picking up like the Jimmy Butler from the the produce section. You know you have to. It doesn't quite work like that. So that's an analogy I've always used when people talk about uh, overpaying or anything. It's not. It's not like you can just kind of pluck someone else. Um, you know, it's not like you can – that apple is a little rotten. Like, let me pick the other apple. It doesn't quite work like that. I think the fireworks comment also sort of – and it just in terms of fan expectation, I think that works against them a little bit as well, just setting the uh, bar a little bit high. And the other thing I wonder about as well is that reports are that last draft, Danny Ainge offered four first-round picks to get Justice Winslow. And if I'm another right. team, I'm saying if that's true, like, and you're only offering – two picks to the Brooklyn picks for if I'm the king and, and just hypothetically and the Celtics are only offering two picks for DeMarcus Cousins now we don't even know if they want DeMarcus Cousins I think there's been some reporting suggesting they don't but just as a hypothetical why are you willing to give up four picks for Justice Winslow and remember that was basically like a six pick jump right or seven pick jump and you're not going to give the same package up for my star player. I, I think that works against them somehow, but it's also hard to tell until they actually do something, and then we rewrite the whole story again. So that's a tough thing. Uh, I want to ask real quick about a couple different trade proposals. Uh, Isaac Watts emailed to ask about uh, this possible trade with the Sixers with Julia Okafor or Nerlens Noel. Noel. Uh, is this sort of a trade that you feel good about? I know because this has been rumored a lot. Is this a trade you feel like... Might happen, uh, you know. Is this a trade that really puts the Celtics on another level if they don't give up anyone specific or anyone important? I should say.
1: It all depends. What's the package? You know, I mean, if it's um, if it's Jahlil Okafor, I mean, I'm I'm less excited about that than than Nerlens Noel. I feel like Nerlens Noel is a better fit for the for the team. Um, not going to be necessarily a go-to scorer per se, but uh, I think that the the league is moving away from guys like um, Okafor and and guys like um, Noel. I can see you know value, long-term value for a guy. that. but you know, in terms of you know, are we giving up? What what are we giving up? Are we giving up assets that are going to help us now? Are we giving up? Uh, are we dealing from surplus? Are we dealing? What is the what is the package? And you know, in terms of you know. If, they, if there's a deal that makes sense there, great. Go ahead, knock yourself out. I mean, it, it, it's something that I would definitely look, um, into. But if it t- takes something like, you know, giving up a Nets pick or giving up a, a significant future asset, you know, you know, count me out. I'm, I'm waiting for the, the Jimmy Butlers. I'm waiting for the Demarcus Cousins and the, and the that level of player um, to use up the, the significant assets that we have.
0: Okay. I mean, someone else asked about DeMarcus Cousins. It sounds like you would be willing to go for him. Well, I mean, I don't even know. I, I think I'm looking at
1: that level player. I mean, Personally, I'm a little wary of him just because of his attitude. And there is this, this um, what do you call it? It's it's a, a tendency of Celtics fans to say, oh, Brad Stevens, he'll fix it. Um, and I don't know if that's necessarily the case. I mean, Brad Stevens, wonderful coach, great at connecting with people, real talk kind of guy. He'll, he'll, he know where you stand with him. And I think a lot of players gravitate towards him, but you know, I don't know if he's necessarily going to change a guy who is cemented in his personality at this point in his life. And that's going to be who he is. I don't think he's going to like, you know, make him better or, or, or fit better into a WIC culture necessarily. I, I don't know if that's going to work out. Maybe it will. Maybe I, maybe I'm just discounting um Cousins too much but my stance on DeMarcus Cousins is purely that I don't know. I mean it, it, he's a big unknown and it, it's a gamble and I think it's a gamble that you know I can see Danny Ainge making. He definitely is a kind of guy who takes gambles like that but in, on the other hand I have heard you know similar reports that say you know Celtics might be kind of like pumping the brakes on that and saying, "Well, maybe that's not the kind of guy we want in our locker room." So, we'll see
0: yeah and sometimes the coach is like Stevens is a particularly good at reaching the players that he can reach because he doesn't take on players like Demarcus Cousins. you know that's <laughs> sometimes it's self selecting uh last last trade question that I promise we have a lot of questions about this team. This is from Brilliant Corner, and I think it's an interesting philosophical question, which is he says, should the Celtics pursue a major trade or see where this season takes them? I think the operative way of thinking about this is if the Celtics are playing well. Or how well do the Celtics need to be playing where you have to think to yourself, you know, let's not mess with this good thing right now and kind of break it up, even for a a top player? Is there a threshold? Um,
1: That is an excellent philosophical question. I don't necessarily have a a definitive answer for. um, One of the things I'll say is that, you know, this team, as it stands, as it's constituted right now, is going to have an incredible defense, you know, as, as, as much as I can tell. That defense is going to win them a lot of games just on that on that fact. Even if they can't, if, even if they're having trouble throwing the ball in, into the ocean like they were last year at, at certain times, you're still going to win games based on good defense, opportunistic, you know, transition points, and Isaiah Thomas. That's going to win you a lot of games. And so, does that translate into um, into a championship team? I don't know. I, I, again, it, it seems like it's, it's it depends on what the fit is at, at the trade deadline or or whenever this hypothetical trade could come up. I think anytime that there's a, a chance to make a a significant upgrade and add a star player, um, I think you got to kind of roll the dice and you kind of got to do it unless it's just unless you're like talking. You know, 82 wins and, and just craziness in, in terms of the you know the the Warriors weren't going to make a deal last year or something like that. But as you, as you saw with the Warriors, they they won ridiculous amounts of games last year, and they added Kevin Durant. Yeah, There's always a chance him. to get better, <laughs> yeah, right? Exactly. So, um, I, I think you got you got to roll you got to roll the dice if if the opportunity arises.
0: Yeah, I think that's right, and it's a good problem to have. That's for sure for the Celtics. This is, a, this is a very first-world problem. All right, we've talked enough about the trades. Let's get to some of these questions about the players on the team. Let's start with this one. This is from Min Timberwolves on Twitter. Was last season kind of as good as it gets for Isaiah Thomas, or is there a way he continues to get better?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's a that's an interesting question because if you think back to this time last year, we were still having, in, you know, you know, Celtics fans were still having debates about whether or not he best was, was a best fit off the bench or 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 starting. I mean, it seems, sounds ridiculous now that he's an All Star and a starter and all this other stuff, but you know, could he get better? Maybe. Um, I don't. I, I don't want to say he's peaked because it's a little bit early in his career to to say he's peaked. I think he could maybe, you know, I don't think he's going to get significantly better. I don't think he's going to become a, um, a Steph Curry or anything like that. But I do think that he can in improve things like his um, like his shooting percentage, his, his, his efficiency. Um, by having a guy like Al Horford, he's going to have another weapon to go to. And maybe he can get a few more assists or something like that. So I don't know specifically. What he's going to do, he's talked about, you know, extending his range a little bit to be more of a a threat behind the the three-point line. Um, He's obviously the kind of guy who's going to continue working on his game. On the flip side of that, he's a little guy, um, and little guys have a shelf life. And so I don't know where that shelf life is and where the, the end of the road comes with him. And also we have to start thinking about, you know, he's already talked about, you know, you better back up the brink struck when I when when my contract becomes available. So at oh, yeah. some point we're gonna have to think about, hey, can we afford this guy going forward? And it sounds crazy because he's you know, he's the guy who injected life into this team. And ever since he he's arrived, he's been just this amazing um, Celtic and he's he's bought into the Boston culture. He, the Boston, you know, fans have, you know, rallied around him and love his Um, his energetic style and his just electric style and and everything about him just screams this is a good person to have on your team but at the same time you know Danny don't care if he if he finds a trade that benefits the Celtics and you know long term short term whatever he's going to pull the trigger and he's going to say you know job slap on the back thanks for coming.
0: I mean that's relevant if Russell Westbrook becomes available, but I am optimistic that Isaiah will be even better this year because of the presence of Horford. I think that'll make life a lot easier on him, and also, you know, I guess we'll see. This sort of leads into our next series of questions. Uh, if I think the Celtics should be able to function a little bit better offensively this year when Isaiah is not in the game, which was not necessarily so. the case last year, although one downside to that is that evan turner is gone one upside to that is a player that has been asked about by a number of people son of ball boy asked we also got an email question again y'all are sent so many great questions for this episode this one's from from ben jones um what do we think about marcus smart this year what's his role and uh you know how does he take the next step
1: i'm i'm a marcus smart I don't know if it's a believer, but I'm a hoper. <laughs> it, 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 it's one of those, you know, he's in his third year. I mean, his third third year tends to be, especially for guards, kind of like this the year that the game a little slows down a little bit. They kind of get it. And there's there's room at least for a a guy with a high potential to take a next step, a, a big next step in, in their progression. Um, all it it always comes back to the jump shot, unfortunately. Um, the jump shot limited him last year. I mean, everyone the, the big buzzword around the, the, the preseason this year is that he had a historically bad you know, shooting year last year. And there's no way around that. The, the, you know, the numbers are what the numbers are. Um, he worked on his shot.
0: 25% from three. Sorry to cut you off. 25%. <laughs> <laughs> 25%. And yet he still launched uh, five and a half five threes per 36 minutes.
1: And I mean, it's you know I say that because it's like cold water in the face. I I, I don't like the, those numbers, and that's a big limiting factor. Now this is coming from a guy who preaches all the great things that he does on the basketball court, and he's a winner. I mean, if you take away everything else, he's just a gamer and a winner who loves to compete, and he sets the tone of, of games. He he just comes in, he's like, um, not to compare him in terms of Career, but it's got that Kevin Garnett type of energy about him, where he just wants to rip your head off, I, I, and I love that about him. And, and on a, on the defensive side, he's already you know an amazing player. He he brings a lot of things to the table. But that jump shot is going to limit him if he can't straighten it out. He worked on it. If it, it, all he needs to do is get kind of better, yep. <laughs> you know, I mean, he just has to be not terrible at it, and and it'll it'll help. In amazing ways. And I think that kind of, you know, goes for the the team as a whole. I mean, we were one of the I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I know we were one of the bottom three point shooting teams in the whole league last year. And so that team, you subtract an Evan Turner, who was a terrible three point shooter. You subtract Jared Solander, who was a high volume, terrible three point shooter. And you bring in an Al Horford, who was actually at least a, a legitimate threat from three point line as a center. Uh, And hopefully I'm again, go back to that hope word. I feel like Shawshank redemption. Um, (laughs) I I hope that he can be a better point shooter. Just just those few facts alone might take us from being one of the worst three point shooting teams to eh, league average. You know, I'll take that.
0: He could do it. He was 34% or 33% as a rookie. Last year, he had, I believe, the ankle injury. He had some sort of injury to start the year. And I don't know if he ever really fully got in rhythm offensively. Uh, They need him, though, to kind of make plays kind of in those situations where Isaiah is benched because they no longer have Turner. That leads us to the person that I somehow am a little surprised that we got the most questions about, and that is Terry Rozier. So, Please explain to me, Terry Rozier, your thoughts.
1: Um, he is the, the the next great hope, the the next uh, um, prospect that showed glimmers of hope, and that we were counting on to to step in and 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 take that next step. Um, this is a tradition that goes all the way back to Kendrick Brown. Um, <laughs> hopefully, he has a better career. Um, but, you know, this is, you know, w- we love the prospects. We love the guy who's in waiting and who's going to take the next step up. And, and um, you know, I, perhaps a better example is a guy like Avery Budley, who who sat most of his first year uh, in the league and just absorbed and learned and, and learned the speed of the game and things like that. And when he finally got his chance, he was able to come in and contribute. Um, Terry Rozier. Most of the season last year was even in, in, in main, playing for the main Red Claws or or right at the end of the bench waiting for his chance, and um he finally got a chance and he actually played a little bit in the playoffs. Um, he also played very well in, in summer league, one of the the best you know statistical ga- um, summer league games or, or whatever you call it um, statistical things than in, in the summer league. <laughs> um, And then, yeah, exactly. I mean, but you know, summer league. Take it with a grain of salt. It is what it is. Um, But you know, he's a guy who has talent. He can actually. He's got a pretty good jump shot. He's he's got incredible burst speed, and he he just had to learn when to use that burst. If you're going full speed the whole time, then you're not. You're just going to run into walls. Knowing when to pick his spots and things like that. So, I mean. Uh, again, it, it seems like he's set up to be. He's got the opportunity uh, with Evan Turner gone. He's going to be have an opportunity to step in and, and play a bigger role. Um, we'll see how he does.
0: I, I don't think we should downplay how important Evan Turner was, despite his many weaknesses last year. Just right. sort of soaking up minutes in the backcourt, and I mean, you know, this is something I worry about a little bit because. Yeah, you know, I'm not sure. That's a big jump for Terry Rozier to be a consistent rotation player. I think you know, even after what he did last year, you see some flashes, like you said, uh, but he still doesn't really have a consistent jumper, and he's not a great passer. So, if you're looking for someone to kind of make plays, you know, I still I need to see it before I'm really fully on board. And with Smart and his jump shooting problems, I need to see that too. And that's that's going to be a big weakness because they don't want to wear out isaiah thomas so i mean that that's a reasonable question they're going to need one of rosier gerald green james young or rj hunter i think to give them something this year and you know, I don't know if the chances of of that happening are more than are there are more than fifty percent, but I don't know if that's a certainty. So I, I definitely worry a little bit about that. I mean, even maybe there's ways that they can stagger the rotation. Maybe Avery Bradley can explore some more playmaking. I know he's been showing a little bit more offense in the preseason, but you know that's a hole that they're going to have to fill that we shouldn't overlook.
1: That certainly it, it's been the one of the the key concerns going into camp you know we have to have that that hole filled by some collection of players it can't be just one guy um i think it i think terry rozier is going to play a role i think marcus smart is going to have to step up into that role a little bit more and maybe a guy like i don't know gerald green can come in and, and pro- provide some some minutes and, and sh- shooting from the the perimeter um some kind of playmaking in, in, involved there but it, it's absolutely a, a a, a concern from a decision-making standpoint though i have zero problem with them letting him walk and and
0: part of oh, that i agree is with that, that. He, no no question <laughs> like he had a ridiculous contract i think
1: right and and you don't you know you don't go two feet into the to the evan turner experience when you could have when, when you're going to lock up all your your cap space for the future in, in terms of future free agents and things like that so oh, yeah absolutely um, I mean, I appreciated what he did, and I had, a, had great respect for what he did for us as, as, a, as a Celtic, um, and he's certainly a great quote machine. I'm going to miss that, too, but um, it, it, it just it didn't make sense for, for him to come back. So, yes, they're absolutely going to have to find a way to fill that hole.
0: Four years, 70 million. It would have been totally absurd if they brought him back. And, you know, they also have Jalen Brown waiting in the wings. Uh, he's sure. not the same position, but he gives you more flexibility. So it's definitely the right decision. That's just a, a little thing I'm looking to, I'm watching, you know, especially because with Thomas, I think he needs someone to help him with some of the playmaking on the perimeter just to give him a break. He is small, he did carry a big load last year. So I'm watching that. Um, before we get to predictions, uh, we haven't talked at all about Brad Stevens. Uh, what – it seems to be sort of this genius quotient attributed to him, and I think he's a really good coach. But, I mean, do we get a little carried away sometimes with how good a coach he is or you know, is the reputation uh, justified?
1: No, and how dare you question. <laughs> the, the...
0: <laughs> I'm sorry. You could kick me out of uh, basketball internet. <laughs>
1: no. Uh, um, yeah, again, it comes back to expectations. You know, if, if you think – he is a, a a genius who can do no wrong. Well, I think that's obviously putting too much pressure on anybody. It doesn't matter who it would be. If it was Red Harbach, he, he made mistakes too. Um, it, but he's certainly a good, very very good, very smart, very hardworking guy who seems to you know to to get players and connect players and get them to buy into the into the the the, the system. Um, that's a good starting point. You know, and it, I I do think he's only going to get, get better as time goes on, and and that's you know something that I have a great deal of respect for. Um, but to again, he's not it's it's not like he has some magical Midas touch that is going to turn everything into gold. He still has to have the players to to, to execute the system. He still has to have you know the 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 buy-in from the players in order to get his his message across. Um so uh, are we overhyping him a little bit maybe you know uh, we 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 get a little excited in Boston and we 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 like guys <laughs> <No>. who uh <laughs> but also at the same time I think we were seeing the product on the floor we're seeing guys who who are are leaving it all on the, on the floor for their team. They're they're playing defense with lunch pail effort. They're they're and and that's a kind of thing that Boston fans really love. I mean, we we I mean, you can be as flashy and and score lots of points, but you know, we're going to gravitate to the guy, you know, who who dives into the stands to get the, you know, a loose ball. Um, we love that attitude. We love that you know, that personality that seems to be on all the and all the players and and you and all the players deserve a lot of credit for that as well. Don't get me wrong, but you know it's still Brad Stevens is the is the head of the attack here, and he has to um, cultivate a, a culture, and so far so good. Um, I, I can't answer to, you know, media going crazy with, you know, best young coach and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. He is what he is. He's a good coach and we're lucky to have him. So I'm just going to you know ride that wave.
0: I agree. He is a very good coach and y'all are lucky to have him. I am a little curious to see what happens if they make a big move cuz right now they have a team that, you know, on the one hand it's certainly not the most top level high end talent, but on the other hand, those are a bunch of tough overlooked dudes on that team like thomas Jay Crowder uh, Marcus smart like those are those are some tough guys self motivated in a lot of ways, and guys who are kind of fit the Stevens if you watched his team as Butler, they were very much like this as well just these these tough sons of of bees. I, I really right. should just say the word. These, I wonder what happens if he has to coach, and maybe this is, this is going to determine what move the Celtics made. I mean, what happens if he has to coach a kind of temperamental star? And maybe the answer is that he would reach him and they would do fantastic. I just don't know. And so there's no way to answer that question right now, but that is something I am watching as the Celtics grow you know, if they trade for Russell Westbrook, I mean, how is how is Stevens gonna coach Russell Westbrook? I just he hasn't he hasn't had any experience. I don't know one way or the other. So that, that's the interesting thing I'm watching.
1: And I think the answer that, you know, everybody in the organization from Danny Ainge down to Brad Stevens down to each of the players would say is, Okay, give me that chance. Yeah, you know, I'd love I, to I see that, that happen. I'd love to, you know, get it, get into that game. And, you know, if we're gonna fail, great, let's fail spectacularly, but let's do it.
0: So let's talk about how well they're going to do. They are not going to fail spectacularly this year, your <laughs> mind. Uh, but how good are they going to be? How many? What are you? What are you thinking as far as a win total and a place in the East?
1: Well, first of all, those are two different things. That's you know, to me, I think win totals. You know, we could. I, I kind of like the over under being around fifty two wins. That seems okay to me. Um, we won forty eight last year. We added Al Horford. Um, it kind of bumps up that way. I know it doesn't work that way. Um, stuff happens in seasons. It, it swings. The, the wind totals one way or the other. So I, I'm not a huge guy on on predicting wins because everything changes as soon as the uh, as soon as the ball goes. So, but in terms of you know how they do in right. the playoffs. <laughs> Uh, you know i'm sorry i, I just it's uh, it's a it's you, can, a fair if you wanna, point it's a point if you want to mark me down for for a win total give me 52 and i'll you know instantly forget about it next week um but in terms of place in the east you know i like the i like the you know being the the team in in on that next level down be, behind the the calves and and with the raptors you know, got to give the raptors all uh, there's a lot of team, a lot of people putting us ahead of the Raptors already, and and you know, I'm not necessarily all about that because they they've earned the the spot to be at the top of the the East um, w- with the Cavs. But at the same time, I I liked our chances of of, of fighting them and fighting them off. And there's even a chance that the Cavs could be you know kind of I don't know rest lebron for a couple weeks they could you know it's certainly not unheard of to hear of someone like Kyrie Kyrie irving having an injury or taking a couple weeks off himself they might not have the pedal to the metal to the to the extent where they're trying to win the 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 east in terms of wins and losses so there might even be an opportunity there for a team like toronto or boston to sneak in there and get the best the number one seat whether or not that matters in the playoffs i don't know you still have to go through lebron as long as he's you know healthy and available um so we'll see i i just like i would like to see us win a few rounds in the playoffs uh let's win one to to begin with but you know i have higher hopes i want to see us get to the eastern conference finals i want to, to see us you know challenge lebron in the in um in the Eastern Conference Finals and really make them sweat like we did back in the day. So we'll
0: see. Yeah, in fairness to you, they could also make a trade, which would obviously totally throw this win production out of whack. Uh, I think there is a chance that they hit the ground running in the regular season. You know, they... They were expected win-loss record was much higher, I believe, than their actual win-loss record. They lost a lot of close games, I think partially because they don't have the closer necessarily, but also some of that could be luck. I think they played above the level of their win total, and they added Al Horford, and they have some guys who are coming back from injury. You know, Jay, One underrated factor that you mentioned at the beginning of the year that I think was important is that Jake Crowder was not himself after his high ankle sprain last sure. year, and that hurt them. There is a chance, I think, that with Cleveland resting, Boston could sneak into that one seed in terms of just – Playing really hard every night. They're going to have a great defense. They were fourth last year and got better. I think there's a chance they have the number one defense in the league this year. I think they may be fighting with a team like Utah for that honor. Uh, and Golden State, obviously, when the chips are down, will have the best defense. And you, obviously, San Antonio had a great defense last year, but I think there's a chance they could have the number one defense in the league. And There's also a chance that they could get a lot better offensively just in the regular season because of Horford and the stuff that he can do and having more experience there. I don't think that they are going to beat the Cavs, and I actually think they're still – I'm not sure if they're a great playoff team, but in the regular season, I think they could rack up. I think they could exceed that 52 over pretty easily and – it would not I mean it would surprise me obviously if they got the one seed, but I I wouldn't be totally stunned if they kinda had one of those Hawks seasons from two years ago. Maybe not sixty wins, but you know, the Cavs are sort of sleepwalking a little bit, getting themselves ready for May and June, and there's a team that sneaks away with the one seed. It almost happened last year. I think the Celtics have the best chance to make it happen this year.
1: I'm not gonna say anything to that
0: because I'll totally jinx it. <laughs> This is weird. I'm more optimistic than the Celtics blogger.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, I'm I'm not going to like, you know, it, it's a, um, a do it, do it type of thing. It, you know, I, I want to see it. I want to see them do it. I want to I have high expectations, but I also have, you know, an ability to say, OK, they haven't proven it. They haven't actually done it on the court. Yes, there is. You know expectations. There's, there's. Yes, we did this last year. That doesn't necessarily mean someone isn't going to regress. It doesn't mean someone's not going to get hurt. It doesn't mean, you know, lots of stuff can happen. Um, but i but I have high hopes, and I have, you know, ec, you know, I, I, I will be disappointing to me if we're not one of the top, you know, three teams in the East this year. And the, and just alone is a is a step forward in the in the in the progression of the Celtics.
0: Yeah, it should be a really exciting season. Is there anything else that we have not discussed that Celtics fans are talking about now as keys to this season in some capacity?
1: Um, one undersold thing, I think, is the, um, the production of Kelly Olenek. Um, and just because you know he, he was really derailed by his injury last year, he's not going to be happy for the beginning of this year. But there were times last year... When he was lights out from three point range, and having that kind of shooter that can spread the floor and add that dimension to our offense is going to be something I hope will add something to the to the Brad Stevens um, offense, to open things up a little bit for everybody else. And and likewise, you know, it, again, there's ebbs and flows in the whole season. You go back to to the you know Marcus Smart and his shooting. It's worth noting that at some point last year. It was, you know, famously there was a, a snow day where he went into the gym and, and shot some amazing amount of shots. And then from that point on, he was, he was lights out shooting, but then he's, you know, he eventually tailed off. So he's a, he was a streaky shooter last year. If he can just even that out a little bit, um, it, it's it, just all told, all these many factors can lead to us being a better three-point shooting team, which in theory should, you know, improve the team as, as a whole. So I, I'm hoping that, you know, a little bit of Kelly Olenek, a little bit of, you know, here or there uh, advancements in people's three-point shots can, can help the, the team as a whole to float a little bit better on offense.
0: What do you think the team's best lineup is?
1: Two things. One thing is that I think the, the the ultimate starting lineup should be, you know, Thomas Smart, uh, Thomas and Avery Bradley with Jay Crowder. I like Kelly Olynyk in the starting lineup just because he gives them shooting. Then Al Horford, obviously. That allows you to bring in a guy like Amir Johnson off the bench and kind of keep that defensive um, intensity in, in terms of a low post um, defender. What I think might be a fun lineup to, to to that might even end up you know finishing games is a three guard lineup that has um, Thomas, Bradley, and Smart out there um, with Jay Crowder moving over to a small ball four and Al Horford locking down the five. Yes, that's a short team, but you know Marcus Smart has shown that he can guard threes and they, they create mismatches on the other side of the, uh, on the offensive side by you know running three guards at you and, and keeping up the defensive intensity on the other side. I think that that lineup could, could you know I, it could be our little you know I, I called it a meat grinder lineup instead of a death <laughs> lineup. <You> know,
0: <laughs> it, they,
1: they will just grind you to death when you try to score against
0: them. Yeah, I like the grindy to death lineup. <laughs> right, that, that's a good one. Um, but yeah, I mean Marcus Smart guarded Paul Mills up in the playoffs. That was kind of a big famous thing, uh, and he pissed him off. And his uh, I mean, do you think he? Uh, he's a, do you think he's a flopper? Yes, he flops too much, and that's annoying. Or is it kind of great as a Celtics fan? You don't care
1: uh again i'm going to go back to my yes both <laughs> um, he's absolutely a flopper and he knows it he owns up to it and he buys and he, he owns that of of his of himself and uh, at the same time it's just that he wants to win so bad he's willing to do anything even even at the risk of embarrassing himself uh to to get that extra edge the problem is it's going to you know it's going to tick off referees and they're going to not buy him, him when he's flopping um so he's going to have to kind of pick his spots a little bit better in the future. So
0: maybe don't die on every screen. Maybe like <laughs> exactly. one in three. You know, just kinda fight through the other two. Uh something like that. Um but hey Jeff, this was a it's a lot of fun. Jeff Clark, uh it's the Dean of the Celtics and possibly the Internet Blogosphere. Uh it's been a real oh. pleasure to have you on uh to to talk about the Celtics. A team I think it's gonna be really, really good. Um What's anything big that's going on at Celtics blog that you want the readers, the listeners, to know about?
1: Um, nothing particular. Just you know, putting out good content. We've got a few, um, a few new writers uh, at doing some great work. Uh, really enjoying the the staff as a whole. Um, I'll be putting out my annual swags um, pretty soon, where I'd make silly, wild, amazing guesses. Um, <laughs> And you know, and I'm and I'm wrong about most of them. So, um, but you know, we'll, we'll have some fun. We're going to have a great season, and it's going to be um, a lot of fun. So, stay tuned for fireworks.
0: Well, hopefully for Celtics fans, these fireworks will actually result in a trade or uh, big moves, real fireworks, and not just the anticipation of fireworks. So, anyway, Jeff, thank you for coming on. Uh, coming up after this podcast, the next one, we will be talking with the Clippers with uh, you know, Doc Rivers' is the Celtics' old coach, uh, his team. We'll be talking to Lucas Hahn from Clips Nation as we continue on this series. As a reminder, Ben is gone. He is on his honeymoon. Uh, flood his inbox with plenty of messages. His Twitter handle is at EpiBen. Uh, I think he will appreciate it. Uh, and until next time, this is the Limited Upside Podcast.